Welcome to a Neon Jazz interview with the great jazz pianist Lenny Marcus. He also does solid work with the flute and vocals with his trio. And he's talking about the release of his latest album, Second Set, and it's just flat out good listening. During our interview, Lenny opened up about growing up in a very music and art-oriented household. This included regular visits by the great Ray Bryant that taught him quite a bit, including honing a strong left hand. Lenny also talks about his career, his music on the Weather Channel, along with much, much more. Dig it. Hey, thank you very much for taking your time out today. Oh, sure. I appreciate it. So let me go ahead and begin. You grew up in Washington, D.C., how did how did that town mold your love for jazz? Well, at a very early age of a, since I came out of the womb, um, I was exposed to jazz. My dad was a surgeon, but he was a jazz pianist, and my mom played upright bass. And all their friends were musicians and artists and writers, and they would have these Sunday afternoon jazz parties. Cool. So all the local Washington DCites that played jazz and loved jazz would come to these parties. And then some of the more famous musicians uh, that were coming through on tour uh, sometimes stayed at our house and would also be at these parties. And um, one of my dad's very best friends was Ray Bryant. And he ended up being my very early piano teacher. Uh, I used to sit on his lap at these Sunday parties and he'd show me how to play. <laughs> wow, that's cool. And uh, Charlie Bird was another one that was always at the parties with his brother Joe and Chuck Red. Uh, Richie Cole would come through and blow sacks at the parties. And, um, so, yeah, I grew up with it. Even wow. though it wasn't my generation, but I grew up with, with my parents' generation and learned all the old songs. When did you first really start playing music, though? I would say... Um, I left high school and I went down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to Louisiana State to go to college. And it was there that I started meeting some serious musicians. And I was 17, 18 years old. And I there was an exchange program between LSU and Southern University where Alvin Baptiste was. And he was a wonderful jazz educator. He was a clarinetist on the Cannonball Adelaide, the old albums. And he was also a big band teacher at Southern University. And he would take young kids like me in and teach them mm -hmm. ropes of, and expose us to music from all over the world, really, not just jazz, but every type of music. And um, sort of just show us what music was all about. And then he had me um, go down, put a, good, put a good word in for me with Ellis Marcellus down in New Orleans. And I started taking lessons from him once a week for a couple of years. Um, and I ended up relocating to New Orleans where I played music every night for like 12 years and met oh. all sorts of people. Wow. So we've established that you've had some really sound, renowned uh, teaching over the years. Talk to me about your career up to this point you're playing. What kind of bands have you been in and how did we get to today? Okay. My very first trio was with um, Herman Jackson on drums, who happens to be the brother of Randy Jackson, famous for American Idol, famous as a bassist. Okay. Um, and Herman Jackson played with everyone. He got picked up by B.B. King and George Benson and everybody. And uh, 
a really great bassist in New Orleans named Jim Singleton. That was my first trio. When Herman left, Troy Davis took over the drums, and he ended up playing with Betty Carter and Bonnie Alexander, and he's, his career skyrocketed. And I went through several bass players and several great drummers, some of which you'll never hear of. They stayed in New Orleans and didn't tour, and, and they're just great musicians, but they never they never went anywhere. Um, so I had a really rich rhythmic section in New Orleans. Um, I had about five bass players and five drummers on hand at any time, and they were all great. Um, and then I got to play with you know a lot of horn players and singers, and learned how to accompany vocalists, and um, and so I became the house pianist at the Meridian, the Meridian Hotel in New Orleans, which is right across from the French Quarter. And I played every day in the lobby, every, and then at night I'd play with the band um, for years. And then I, I moved up after uh, my school was finished. I moved up through North Carolina and now into Roanoke, Virginia, where I continued to record. And we have festivals here, so some of the great people I got to record with David Fathead Millman and play at a festival with him and Sonny Fortune, played a couple international festivals with him. Um, you know, so even though I'm in Roanoke, Virginia, and there's not a huge jazz scene, um, there's a, there's a handful of very good players locally, and then we have a fest, you know, a couple of festivals where musicians will come through. So up to this point, you've had 22 albums as a leader, and now we arrive at your latest called Second Set. Talk to me about this album. Well, what happened was um, four albums preceding that. Two of them were I started studying Beethoven with this classical teacher, and I got the idea of using jazz exploration with Beethoven arrangements. So we have uh, two albums, The Jazz of Beethoven and Peace for Beethoven. And then uh, my teacher, my friend, my mentor, Ray Bryant, died in the summer of 2011. And I couldn't see anybody doing a tribute to him. They did some songs that he wrote, but no one did any tribute. So I did Sun Ray was the first one, and Tonk was last year. Mm -hmm. And they both hit the charts with Radio Airplay up in the top ten. Sunray went to, top, to number four. And so second set, this album currently for this year, is sort of a mixture of some of the stuff Ray Bryant taught me and also some of the jazz, uh, jazz of Beethoven, some of the arrangements that we do. So it's a kind of a compilation. Very cool. So where do you like to perform live? Where are some of your favorite venues, whether it's in D.C. or around the country? I have right now, I think it's because I grew up listening to great musicians there in D.C., is Blues Alley in Georgetown. And we have a sh two shows coming up, June 26th, uh, Thursday night, uh, next week, um, at Blues Alley. Um, I like to play locally just because people come out to the gigs locally and regionally. I know a lot of the people, so it's kind of fun to do that, and they come sit in. And of course, it's always fun to travel. Um, we got to play on Barbados and Grenada, international jazz festivals. They treat you great, and you get to meet wonderful musicians. Um, so I think that's my favorite. Uh, I think Blues Alley is about my top favorite. Right on. Very cool. Yeah. So you've been taught by some of the greatest, Ray Bryant um, and, and many others, with that in mind, what do you like to teach musicians that you play with? First thing I like to teach musicians 
positions is how to listen. And that's really what Alvin Baptiste taught me and Ellis Marcellus. And Ellis said something to me that was very important, I thought, which was, you can't really hear something until you can almost play it. And then all of a sudden you can hear it. So the playing and the listening kind of go hand in hand, but listening is a huge thing. And then when you get with a group, and you really have to listen to the other musicians and not just try to shine yourself with your soloing and your musical gymnastics is what I call it, <laughs> but really listening to make it musical and not just acrobatic. Yeah. What's been the nicest thing that either a fan or somebody that you've gigged with has ever said to you? Well, I just got a letter from uh, Paris, France, from a young pianist who said, how do you... How did you do Moonlight Sonata? Um, you know, can you send me the chart, the jazz chart for that? <laughs> <laughs> and that that really made me laugh because all we did was take exactly as Beethoven wrote it, and we improvised on it. And there is no chart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I had to explain to him, you don't just read the note, you know. And I got a real kick out of that. Um, I just love playing and performing and meeting people and. Uh, Every gig I do, I just try to make it fun, no matter if it's a little tiny thing or a big, huge concert. Very cool. So I noticed, too, that a lot of your music, the thing that I notice about a lot of jazz musicians is that people may not know who they are, but they hear their tunes. And there's been a, a good amount of yours that have been in film and TV, notably CNN and the Weather Channel. What are some of those jingles and what, how will people might know who you are through those? Well, we became very big on the National Weather Channel out of Atlanta, and the local on the 8th, when they used to have a jazz format. Mm-hmm. I think they've moved now to soft rock. But um, in the early 2000s, late 1990s, early 2000s, you could hear our music all over the place on the Weather Channel. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten our music in McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> we've gotten it everywhere. Uh, CNN and the Heroes series. They did a, took a solo piano thing that I did called One Day in the Woods, and they used that. Um, yeah, you play long enough, you record long enough, and you get out there long enough, um, your music kind of spreads out a little bit. Very cool. So you have been compared to Vince Guaraldi, Oscar Peterson, McCoy Tyner, Mose Allison. Uh, what do you think? How do you feel about those comparisons? Um, I feel kind of very humble, you know, those, those people are stars, they're great, and I do feel like it takes decades and decades to become a very good jazz pianist, so I'm in my early 50s now, and I feel like I'm just becoming a really good jazz pianist, it, t- it takes so long, because there's so much to learn, but being in jazz can make you a virtuoso on your instrument, if you keep listening and playing, um, and, you know, you stay on the right path. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I know I have a lot of instrumentality in my playing. Some early Keith Jarrett with the, with the early labels he was on. Uh, some McCoy Tyner, a little Chikoria. And the only reason I have it in my style is most pianists go through these periods where they grab onto a piano player like Vince Jarrett. And, uh, you know, they play all his stuff. And then they move on just to something else. Um, so I know I have all that, but hopefully you end up with your own voice 
yeah. your own style. And I think the thing that may set me apart just a little bit is Ray, Ray Bryant taught me how to use a strong left hand in playing the piano. There's so many jazz pianists today that really neglect that left hand. Mm-hmm. They can play a ton of things with the right hand and they comp chords with the left, but they really don't voice deep and thick and develop with their left hand the way Ray Bryant taught me at a very early age. So I was very lucky. Absolutely. So when you sit down to listen to some jazz music, who do you like to listen to? Well, all the people you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. I love the early Keith Jarrett. I love McCoy Tyner. He's just so spiritual. Vincent um, Raleigh, to me, just is fun. Of course, Lonius Monk, with his sense of humor, I just can't get enough of that. <laughs> and then, I, you know, I do what Alan Batiste kind of taught me, which was listen to all types of music. You know, here in Roanoke, Virginia, we have... Appalachia and the bluegrass music and just amazing bluegrass pickers and um, you know amazing blues artists um, so it's not just jazz but try to listen to everything yeah and uh, it makes you a well-rounded musician right now I'm studying classical piano with this concert pianist and going into the new things I never even thought I would be doing so Right on. So let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and meet one musician from any era, any time, who would it be and what would you want to ask them? I think I would want to have lunch with Art Tatum. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Because, you know, as far as we've come, and as many pianists and as many great musicians in the world, he's still unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't touch him. And I, I would like to find out just you know, how he sort of did. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very cool. So you say, you know, even though you've been playing for years and years, you still feel like you're learning and you're new to this. Let's say in about 20 or 30 years when you're in your 70s or 80s, someone's talking yeah. about you and your career and your impact on jazz. What would you like to hear? I'd like to hear that, uh, as Ray Bryant taught me, Uh, Lenny Marcus was a pianist, or is a pianist, that when you hear him, you know it's Lenny. You know, and that's hard for an instrumentalist. It's Mm -hmm. a little easier for a vocalist, because, you know, vocals have a certain tone for each person. But for an instrumentalist, especially piano, with no breath, if you can have your own sound, I think I'd be the most proud of that. I'm going to throw this out. It's... Two words, but it will probably wrap up a lot. I know where you came from, how you've gotten to this album, second set. What's next? I don't know, and that's the <laughs> fun of it. We uh, have already composed a few songs, and we're on a certain direction, but we're not sure now. We've done a couple of tributes to Ray Bryant. We explored Beethoven, and I don't know where we're going now. I think this is this may be... You know, going towards that sound I'm talking about. Yeah. That um, that can set us apart. So, does Lenny Marcus live with any regrets? Uh, that's a hard one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was a little reluctant to travel early on in my career. And a lot of uh, some of the famous musicians now uh, that I 
played with, like Reginald Beal, bass player for the Marcellus. <laughs> you know, all those cats, they traveled. Mm-hmm. And I sort of stayed put. And I sort of regret that maybe I missed some opportunities there. But I'm having fun now, so no regrets now. Right on. So what album or song did you listen to before we interviewed today? Um, I was just listening to Stevie Wonder. Very superstitious. <laughs> cool. Very nice. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, now how would I jazz that up, and maybe classical that up, and play with the tempo and see what I could do. <laughs> right on. So in this world of tweets and brevity and wrapping yourself up and nice bite-sized morsels, if I was to ask you to sum up who you are and the length of a tweet, 144 characters, how would you des- <laughs> how would you describe yourself? I would like to see myself as a unique pianist with a strong left hand who has something to say, a little different voice than all the other pianists out there, um, on a little bit of a different path, and providing that kind of unique sound in the musical world, which is so big and vast, and you can get lost in it so quickly, Yeah. Um, to make people happy, uh, to have music full of emotion. I think that's why I gravitate towards Beethoven in the classical world, so full of emotion. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to add something to this beautiful world. Right on. Perfect. That's a great answer. Lenny, thank you for your time today. Good luck on the new album and right on into the future, man. It's great listening. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview where we give you a bit of insight into the finest singers and players belting out that jazz all across the United States. And thanks to Lenny for his time and insight into his craft. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. And for all things Neon Jazz, the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the music, my friends. Neon Jazz.